0: Hey, this is Dave DeBow. Would you like to access private capital so that you can buy more properties and scale your real estate business? Then check out my brand new podcast. It's called the How to Raise Capital 101 Show. Now, the first nine episodes are a mini course on how to raise six figures in a matter of weeks and seven figures in a matter of months, even if you're starting from scratch. So you can find this new show. Again, it's called the How to Raise Capital 101 Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Or feel free to visit us at raisecapital101show.com. Hey guys, this is Dave DeBeau with another episode of the Property Profits Real Estate Podcast. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered what kind of legal structures you need to have set up in order to cover your assets when it comes to real estate investing? Well, if you have, today's guest is definitely going to be super valuable for you because Bonnie Gallum is not only a real estate investor. In fact, she started off as a real estate investor. She and her husband currently self manage a portfolio of over 100 doors in and around Philadelphia. So she knows a thing or two about real estate investing. And after doing that for a while, she got super frustrated with lawyers and legal stuff. So she said, To heck with this, I'm going to become one myself. So she went back to school, got her. Law degree, became a lawyer, and now she focuses on helping real estate investors like us not get screwed over by lawyers. So Bonnie, welcome to the call.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Dave. (laughs) What an intro. (laughs) Well,
0: hopefully I didn't screw it up too much. So close enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what we're going to be covering here today is defensive asset protection versus offensive asset protection. And first of all, let's just back up a couple of steps here and go over what is asset protection, why is it important, and why are there just so many misconceptions about this whole thing?
1: Sure. So the way I like to look at asset protection is in much more of a holistic way than I think most lawyers do. For me, as an investor, asset protection is straight up saving me money, whether it's from paying my lawyer too much money to, you know, making sure I've got the right insurances in place, making sure that I'm not losing money with my tenants left and right or contractors left and right. And so it's this big picture. I'm not just trying to protect myself from lawsuits. I'm trying to protect myself from losses, period, and to use that to be able to increase my own bottom line.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. All right. So what was it that frustrated you so much back in the day that you decided to become a lawyer yourself and set the record straight?
1: Sure. So I was actually in law school when I met my husband who had already started real estate investing. And so it was a little bit more of a career change as a lawyer. But what I saw was with the lawyers who we were working with was, and this is why I think there's a lot of misconceptions about asset protection, is that lawyers can only sell you legal services the same way that insurance people only sell you insurance things. And so to them, every problem looked like, you know, they had a hammer and everything looked like a nail. And so, you know, it just became, tons of LLCs, which we very quickly found out led to a ton of CPA expenses. And so we kind of realized, we're like, well, there has to be a cost benefit to asset protection. I shouldn't need asset protection from my asset protection. Like that's just bad math. Mm -hmm. And so it was actually the first time we got sued as a real estate investor that I began thinking, I'm like, well, if this is the worst case scenario, because in my head, it was, it was someone who was alleging they got hurt on our property. Yeah and we battled and survived that storm, then what was I being scared of this whole time? Like this was the big bad, you know, boogeyman out there. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and for it sure. happened- that's, that's the ultimate nightmare for everybody, right? Is that- Yeah, you know,
1: and it happened. Time. And, you know, thankfully we weathered that storm and we came out okay. And I mean, it helps that we weren't in the wrong, but it also made me realize that I'm like, well, if I still kind of have legal problems in my business, What I should be worrying about is the things I can actually control. I can't control if Joe Schmo is going to say she slipped and fell in front of my property after some snowstorm. Like that's just rampant in Philadelphia. And, but I can control my relationship with my tenants, my relationship with partners, my relationships with my contractors, because much like, you know, like car accidents, they say that car accidents are most likely to happen within a very small vicinity of your home, Mm -hmm. which makes sense. That's where you're driving the most. Legal problems are very much the same way. They're most likely to come from the people who you're dealing with in your real estate investing business all the time. But what I realized was that insurance that I was paying for and the LLCs I was paying for don't really matter. No LLC has ever stopped an eviction. No LLC has ever made a contractor show up on time. So you're not, you know, having all these holding costs and things like that. And so I thought, what do I need to do if I'm looking at my business and I'm auditing it in terms of like money in, money out? How can I tighten the ship up? And the answer still was legal, just not in the way that I was being sold it and not the way I had originally, you know, conventionally thought about asset protection. It was dealing with these people in a more, I'll say, formal manner and running my business, my actual real estate investing business, like a business, not like a side hobby, not like something where, you know, rent comes in on the fifth, where it doesn't come in on the fifth. And then I just react to everything happening in my business. I saw that I had a lot of control as the business owner to steer that ship. And that was an opportunity that I wasn't fully grasping. And when that happened, I realized, you know what? The contractor who wasn't willing to sign an actual contract was probably not going to do the work that needed to be done on time, on budget, and in the manner that I expected it to be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the same thing kind of goes with you know tenants and partners. It's when you start making things and treating things seriously, which we are like we want this stuff to be here for the long term. Then the people who aren't in it for real, they start just kind of going away, which is mm-hmm. is a nice thing. And then the people who you do work with, you have this mutual respect, this mutual understanding because things are put into paper and. That has been the greatest learning lesson of all. Has been through this lawsuit, and then also just auditing the number, my own numbers in my business, to say how can we actually tighten up the ship. Now, don't get me wrong; the the LLC made me sleep better at night. But at the end of the day, it didn't really matter. <laughs>
0: well, well, let's let's dive into the weeds a little bit here. So, Bonnie, what I'm what I'm hearing is that yes, the LLC is part of the whole thing, but it's not everything. It's not going to solve all your problems. And what you are really looking at is all of the different components that are associated with your business in general, LLC or not, and looking at how can you formalize things? How can you set things up so you've got more like standard operating procedures? You've got a certain methodology for doing things that your contractors are compliant, the people that you're working with, everything's formalized. That's more important to have all of that in place versus just you know, thinking it it all has to go through a lawyer. Am I understanding things properly? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think this comes down to the fact that in reality, there's what I consider to be two different types of asset protection. Yeah, let's
0: let's talk about those. Yeah.
1: What most people think of is defensive tools. These are tools like LLCs and insurance, and they're defensive because they're there to protect you after things have already gone wrong. They're there to mitigate the damages.
0: When, When the, you know what, hits the fan.
1: Yeah, exactly. And in many cases, LLCs, you know, ideally are never really coming kind of coming into play because that's a situation where your liability exceeds the value of what you own in that property. So we're talking like really, really t- awful worst case scenario type of situations. But on the flip side, offensive tools like standard operating procedures, having good contracts, and I also just like to think of having a basic legal understanding of landlord-tenant laws where you live (laughs) and contracting laws where you live as offensive, because what they do is they prevent the problems from ever happening in the first place. If we can just tighten that ship up, not to the point where it's like, there's no risk. This is still real estate investing. There's always going to be risk. We can't control what everybody does, but we can take actions to protect ourselves the way that everyone else does. And by creating this ecosystem of processes and procedures that are not just draft in a way that's in our favor, but also, you know, legally compliant and also understood by all parties. And I think that's a big mistake is that people get these things drafted by attorneys and they don't know what it says. And the other person doesn't know what it says, but a lawyer drafted, it so it must be fine. Yeah. And we really need to know more than that. And we need to know what makes, you know, good terms or bad terms or, and yeah, because, and what they because I
0: correct me if I'm wrong, but, Just because a lawyer puts it together doesn't mean they really have much of a clue about real estate investing in your particular business, and your particular situation. A lot of the stuff is kind of boilerplate. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, and I definitely see that in my industry. I mean, from my my law firm perspective, I was definitely a premium in terms of cost provider, because I didn't want to do that. There's, you know, plenty of, you know, lawyers out there who you're like, I need a lease in the state of, you know, Wisconsin, and they just send you the same lease that they send to everybody else without asking you about You know the nature of the property, or the nature of your tenants, or what are your concerns, or what problems are you having with your tenancies that maybe through this document we'd be able to fix and protect you moving forward, because that's a big thing with legal stuff is that it only works moving forward. Kind of the same way as like insurance. Like there is no such thing as retroactive asset protection. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to deal with this later, or if a problem arises, then I'll deal with it. That the ship has already sailed. Then that the goal through legal I see is to increase your profitability by being more proactive with the legal stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow, that's another fantastic idea. Hold on to that thought for a sec. We'll be right back. Now, are you a real estate investor who's right out of cash or credit to grow your portfolio? Are you looking to grow your portfolio using other people's money and raising capital? Well, I want to show you how to raise six figures or more in six weeks or less at my upcoming investor attraction workshop. You can get your ticket and find out all about it at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. We're going to spend a full day taking a deep dive into this roadmap that I've used to raise millions for my deals, and I've helped other people just like you cumulatively raise hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for their deals as well. So again, you can check that out at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. And as a loyal listener to the podcast, you'll get 50% off your ticket when you use the discount code PODCAST. That's right, discount code PODCAST at InvestorAttractionWorkshop.com. See you at the next workshop. So looking at things big picture, I know a lot of people listening to this or watching this are kind of that at that just getting started with real estate investing. they got a couple of deals under their belt. At what point in your professional, in your real estate, put on the real estate investor hat and the legal hat, at what point or under what conditions does it really make sense to have an LLC?
1: I say when you can afford it. And I think that that's the biggest holdback for a lot of particularly early stage investors because someone, for example, like a house hacker, if you're using FHA financing here in the States, You can't use an LLC to do that. And what I tell someone oh, don't invest in real estate, don't be a house hacker because you can't do an LLC and therefore there's risk involved. Absolutely not. Like that makes no sense. I think the earlier and the sooner you can get started in this stuff, that's great. And if for the time being that means you're doing, you know, three and a half percent down or five percent down financing, then so be it. If you can find, you know, cash flowing deals right now in this market with those terms, then. Fantastic. Right. But at some point, if you're looking to get you know into larger multis, you're going to have to start doing commercial. If your financing includes hard money lending, they're going to want to see an LLC. And so a lot of it, I think, comes down to the money around financing, because those people can really pull the strings about making this deal get to the closing table or not, depending on whether you do or don't have an LLC.
0: Yeah, I know that makes a lot of sense. And from just a a purely defensive point of view, what are your thoughts there? Like, uh, you know, if if you're doing flips and you've got your first little flip on the go, is that a point, if you can afford it, that you should be getting an LLC or can you do a few and then get into it afterwards? What are the the risks and rewards?
1: I I feel like flips can get risky
0: Uh and they
1: have different types of risks than just straight up rentals. Do. When I think about flipping, I think about all of the contractors who are going into that work. Right. We're talking about a property that is probably distressed and is a risk in it of itself. And we're thinking about that the fact that there's an end buyer and there can be disclosure issues where you know, perhaps you buy a property at auction. We don't know everything about the property, but we know that there's enough distress in it that we're getting it at some sort of discount to rehab it and flip it. Mm-hmm. And so I think- there, especially with flippers who are using hard money loans and they need to have an LLC to begin with, LLCs are a good idea uh, for flippers because they're typically not being obtained with, you know owner occupant type of financing. And wow. so that's usually not a holdback for those type of investors.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. And then how about for longer term buy and hold? Let's say somebody's doing a single family home. They've got one or two properties, or they're they're just doing it very, very part-time. Does it still make sense in, in your opinion as a real estate investor and, and with your knowledge that they should really should be looking at LLCs?
1: I think if it makes them feel better, they should. Yeah. I don't think it should stop someone. I mean, I, I know some investors and I have some clients who they've worked with other attorneys before who are basically like, absolutely not, you cannot do this without an LLC. Here's, you know, all the horror stories, why? And they end up paying like more for their asset protection than they do on their down payment. And it that to me just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'd rather you have a really creative, you know, insurance scheme that you've got going on, not scheme in terms of illegal, I mean, scheme yeah. in terms of plan that really, you know, comprehensively protects you in that way. The other thing you have to think about, I, th- I think as real estate investors, we think of ourselves as this anomaly in terms of asset protection risk. But I-, I prefer, and I think it's a lot clearer if you think about real estate investing as any other type of business with some really good tax benefits. And when we think about you know, a pizza parlor that perhaps just rents and has some employees and sells the product, they're probably in an LLC. And they do that because their employees are a risk, their customers are a risk, and there's you know some liability around the the actual premises, even if they don't really have that as an asset. And they don't have a lot of assets. You know, if you think about a company who's just renting, you know, a space for their business, cash on hand and their insurance policy is is really what they they have. Right. And so, an LLC, there's really important because if there's you know any sort of substantial claim, and and insurance here's even more important they're gonna be coming right after the personal assets. Now with real estate, real estate has a lot of inherent assets. So the business itself already contains things. Now granted, we don't wanna be giving up that property in a lawsuit. That's not what we want here. We don't wanna be totally illiquid. But again, that's where, the insurance piece comes in. I know some attorneys will recommend doing what's known as debt stripping, where you're basically keeping very, very little equity in your property. Mm-hmm. So that way it's not even worth, you know, closing upon not or whatever. I, yeah. And I just don't really buy by that. I mean, I do debt stripping all the time. I call it the Burr method and I refinance my properties and I pull them out, but I don't do that as an asset protection strategy. I don't think it's good because then you're just paying, you know, what's a regular commercial rate right now, over 6%. Mm -hmm. I'm paying 6% as asset protection on the value of my property. Like that doesn't make sense. Now, if I'm going out and making 15% off of that money, then that makes sense. And so the the numbers just always, for me, legal comes down to math in many ways. And it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. And there is no right or wrong. And I never like as an attorney to put my risk tolerance in the place of my clients. If my clients say, Bonnie, That's great. Like personally, we have multiple LLCs, but we also have multiple properties in the LLCs. Whereas some people are like, I cannot sleep at night if I don't have each property in a separate LLC. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm not going to make you feel that that is necessary for you to be a real estate investor.
0: Right. You can show people the pros and cons of either way. Yeah.
1: And if that's, and if after you understand, you know, the cost of maintaining that and what that provides for you and what the upkeep and operations of, you know, bookkeeping on all of these different things. And you're like, yeah, Bonnie, this is still what I want to do. Then let's do it. Let's do it. Absolutely. I'll take that fee all day, every day, but it's not like I'm going to come in there and say, if you're not doing this, you're doing it wrong.
0: Got it. Got it. No, that makes sense. Bonnie, this is a, a, a very, very important topic, very deep subject. There's only so much we can cover on a short interview like this and people want to find out more about you. And I know you've got some fantastic resources for folks and, and some even do it themselves kind of stuff. So where can people find out more about you and get in touch with you?
1: Sure. So if you're interested in learning more about my perspective on asset protection and legal as a real estate investor, you can go to my website, bonniegallum.com. There I have lots of freebies, like a whole checklist guide on going through different types of due diligence, as well as a free legal workshop going through the three legal landmines that real estate investors need to look out for and what to, to do to protect themselves against them. I also hang out on my podcast, House of Horrors, and look out soon for an episode with Dave there as well.
0: That sounds great. We'll have all those links in the show notes. Bonnie, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for having me, Dave.
0: All right, everybody, take care, and we'll see you on the next episode. Well, hey there, thanks for tuning into the Property Profits Podcast. If you like this episode, that's great. Please go ahead and subscribe on iTunes. Give us a good review. That'd be awesome. I appreciate that. And if you're looking to attract investors and raise capital for your deals, then I'm going to invite you to get a complimentary copy of my newest book,